This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs, and, and they realized that he had, oh, I'm sorry, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Clint and Jessica. I'm grateful. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful that we're in a church that upholds scripture as truth. Thankful for a body of believers who come hungry and thirsty. Thankful that when that hunger is not as intense as it should be, we, we trust in you to create what we could never create. Lord, we ask that you would cause these very familiar stories of this gospel and the other gospels and of what the prophets foretold to not be lost on us because of familiarity, but we would see anew the glory of the gospel, that you would silence distractions right now, even the noise of the season, but would cause us to be present that we might be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. I pray that for myself and for all who are here. In the name of Jesus, amen. I really want to encourage you as we move through Luke 1 and 2 over the next several weeks to take time to read and reread these narratives. 
to imagine the conversations that were taking place amongst those present as well as in the minds of those who are being impacted by these events. It's really amazing that all of this happened and all of it is true. Advent and Christmas, this wonderful season, is full of so many signs. Some of them began to appear even months ago, but now they're all upon us. And every one of our senses is impacted. The eyes see lights and behold the wonder and beauty of the ways in which trees and homes are decorated. Our ears begin to hear songs that we love to sing and hear played. Even background music is, is wonderful because in places where Jesus is not uplifted, sometimes the songs are lifting up Jesus and our ears hear it and rejoice. Even our taste is, is sometimes overwhelmed as loved ones and neighbors and friends offer such delicious things to eat, all because of celebration, celebrating the one who is our Savior Jesus who came and is coming again. Even our hands and our, our touch can experience this great sense of, of a gift as we unwrap a package or as we wrap a package. Every family, individuals have traditions. Many of them are similar, but some are different. I don't know how it works in your family when you grew up or how you do it now as a, an adult, but I wonder if you had the Christmas wish list, if you asked your children or your spouse, what is it you want for Christmas? And you begin to make a mental note of what that looks like. I'm sure many of you have done that. And there's a part of that that's good, I guess. I certainly do it with my wife and in our family. But there's a part of me that really dislikes that. And the reason is because we miss the unexpected. It's, it's wonderful to know that you've asked for something, requested something, and that it's likely you're going to receive that. I know there's husbands and wives that simply look at one another and say, tell me what you want for Christmas. And some even say, why don't you just go buy it for yourself? That is not romantic. <laughs> Men, I want you to put the man back in romance. Go out, buy your wife something and surprise her. It's lost when we don't really think of it. Now, why would I bring this up? Christians should expect the expected always. And there's comfort in that. There's comfort in knowing that our family is going to do it this way. Our kids know what to expect. Our neighbors kind of know what to expect. There is comfort in expecting the expected. And Christians should live in that. We should live in the confidence of what God has promised, what he has already given us. And we should expect the expected. But there is another aspect of the walk following Jesus, and that is that we should expect the unexpected. We should live in anticipation of that which we can't expect. And the reason this is really important is because this is what's happening in Zechariah's life. This story that you just heard read, and one we're going to be in over the next several weeks through Luke's narrative of the coming of Christ, is really remarkable because there's a fulfillment of things that they were promised, that they were to expect that is now coming to fruition but there is so much that's happening that they could never have expected. When we live in the expectation of the expected, we can find comfort in that, even comfort in the rhythm. But there is a dangerous side to that too, where we can become complacent. And what is a good rhythm just becomes a ritual. And we're not really engaging the wonder of what's taking place. 
When we live not only in expecting the expected, but expecting the unexpected, this is where this awe and wonder continues to be stirred in us. When suddenly things that we could never have expected are beginning to happen. And it has to do often with the signs that God has given, the signs that he has provided. The cover of our bulletin says signs and wonders because that's the title of the series we're going to be in. It's a phrase that the Bible uses over and over again, but especially Luke, both in this gospel and in his second book, the book of Acts. The way we want you to see this is that God is a God who gives us signs. From the beginning of scripture to the end, this God has given us signs that are always meant to point towards something, someone. And so as a foundation, I want to describe for just a moment before we get into the narrative, what these signs are always doing. It will be easy for you to remember, this is not the outline of the sermon, but it is four points that are really important to lay the foundation for where we're going. First, signs are always meant to bring God glory by revealing, first, his presence. Second, his power. Third, his plan. And fourth, his promises. Let me say that again. The signs of God are always pointing to something. They're pointing to the glory of God as he reveals himself in his presence, his power, his plan, and his promises. So as we move towards this narrative in the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see the presence of God. You're going to see the power of God. You're going to see the plan of God. And you're going to see the promises. Those signs are being fulfilled as well as pointing to something that's even still to be fulfilled, something that's beyond what we could imagine. So let's get into the narrative. Here we have Luke telling us in the first few verses of his gospel that he has a purpose for writing. He says, I'm writing to give you, Theophilus, an orderly account for the things that have happened. You need to have a certainty regarding them. So Luke, who was a physician, went to great lengths to make sure as he interviewed people, what actually took place. What did people see? What were the signs? What was the wonder? The miracles took place. The words of Jesus were amazing. And Luke has the ability to be very methodical, very systematic, and he's doing it on purpose so that this young individual, Theophilus, might have certainty for the hope that he has been taught. And so then Luke moves towards his beginning, and he starts with Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is a priest. He is a priest who is described by Luke as being righteous, just like his wife Elizabeth. This is important. Righteous does not mean perfect. There was a perfect Adam and there was a perfect Eve. Sin entered into the world. They were no longer perfect. And no man born or woman born since has been perfect except for the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. So whenever the word of God says that someone is righteous, it does not mean they're perfect. They're sinners just like you and I. What it's pointing to is that they believed in the future promise of a coming Messiah and it was counted to them as righteous. So they were believing that there was going to be a Messiah. There was going to be a redeemer. And so they're righteous. Zechariah is called to be a priest. He's part of this division. Now, to help you understand the significance of this, there were 20,000 priests at this time. Okay, think about that. 20,000 priests. They were divided into 24 divisions, 
King David is the one who did that in 1 Chronicles 24.10. And so two times a year, each division would come to serve at the temple. They would serve from Sabbath to Sabbath. And there was a bunch of them. But then they would cast lots. And the lots would fall on an individual that was then going to enter into the temple and burn the incense. This was a big deal. It would only happen to you as a priest once in your lifetime, if at all. And so now, Zechariah has had the lot fall on him. He is about to enter into the temple, and there is going to be a sign pointing to something that's beyond anything that he could imagine. So watch what happens. Zechariah, this righteous man of God, is moving into the temple. As he moves in, fulfilling the obligation that he's been given, the calling that he's been given. I want you to note, he's just doing the ordinary task, the normal task that a priest is called to. Often God reveals signs and wonders right in the midst of the ordinary, right in the normalcy of life. And that's what's happening. The people, Luke tells us, are outside the temple. And what are they doing? And this is a great lesson for the church. They're praying. All of them, they're there and they're praying. And then Zechariah moves in. As Zechariah moves in, he is about to experience the presence of God, the power of God, the plan of God, and the promise of God. As he enters in, he's encountered or encounters an angel. To the south side, inside the temple, this angel appears. Verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Let's stop there for a minute. Zechariah is a priest in a time period in which God had been silent. For how long? 400 years. 400 years, 400 years of people being faithful and unfaithful. Some serving the Lord and moving into the temple like this to bring honor and glory to the name, to intercede, to make sacrifices. But for 400 years, not a word. In another way, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth have also experienced the silence of God. It's not that God didn't reveal his will. It's just that his will was no. His answer to their prayer for a child was no. She was barren. And the shame of which she lived in was overwhelming. So great in that day. And yet she remained faithful. So did he. But the Lord did not give them a child. All the various times that they prayed for that child, and I'm sure they were many, probably multiple times a day. But now, as he enters into the temple, he's seeking to be faithful to the ordinary means that, that God has given him, the call that he's given him, when suddenly something extraordinary happens. And I don't want you to miss this. An angel is there. It's Gabriel, and Gabriel begins to speak. God silence, God's silence is ended. And Zechariah is terrified, and it's understandable. 
It doesn't mean that he, in that moment, lacked faith. He just had never encountered an experience like this. It was not expected. He knew what to expect. He didn't expect that. There was comfort in what he expected, and there was a bit of discomfort because suddenly he is encountering something as God intervenes, as he interrupts through his servant Gabriel. So what does the angel say first? Verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, now just pause for a minute. Read this slowly. Picture the scene. He had an expectation. He had talked to other priests, those who had burned incense before him. What is it like? And now suddenly there appears to him something completely unexpected. And it's this angel. And the angel begins to speak. And then the angel says, hey, God has answered your prayer. Your wife is going to have a baby. And he's old. And she's old. And in his mind, he's beginning to think how impossible it is for his wife to get pregnant. The angel continues to speak and says, the child will be named John, which was very unique. And he says, verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, that's Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then the angel stops speaking. Now just imagine what Zechariah was hearing and how he's processing. His name will be John. Your names matter. In fact, Zechariah's name, it means Yahweh has remembered. Isn't that interesting? His wife, Elizabeth, her name means God is my oath. This sign coming from Gabriel is revealing the presence of God, the power of God, the plan of God, and the promises of God. Where's the power? There is an angelic being, an angel, who is speaking to a man and saying, your wife and you in old age are gonna conceive. There is an angel speaking to him saying, your son, John, is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit the moment he enters into this world. From the moment. The power of God is seen here but also the presence. Listen to this. After the angel speaks in verse 18, Zechariah speaks. Listen to his words. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That's all he says. And that's all he's gonna say for nine plus months. Gabriel speaks. Listen for the presence of God. Verse 19, 
I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you, reveal to you, and to bring you this good news. How many times have you read that? Probably a lot. Don't miss it. Gabriel went into the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, representing the people to be in the presence of the Lord. And then the presence of the Lord meets him through this angel who says, I stand in the presence of God. When we see signs, it reveals the presence of God. When we see signs, it reveals the power of God, the plan of God and the promises of God. So Zechariah is here before the angel. He simply asks a question, but his question reveals doubt. This righteous man can encourage us because righteous people can also doubt. His doubt wasn't a final doubt. He just could not comprehend how this unexpected visit with this unexpected prophecy that he would now be the father of a son named John could actually happen. I am old and the wife you gave me is old. He says it nicer. He says she's advanced in years, but she's old. She can't get pregnant. He doubted. He shouldn't have, but he did. He could not accept the unexpected. It was too great, too big, too impossible. So Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. That silence as Luke records, began immediately. There's no further conversation that takes place. Zechariah, we're not told, says, wait, 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 let me explain. He's mute. He then moves outside from the task of being in the temple in verse 22, and it says, verse 21, I'm sorry, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now I want you to think about this. Zechariah went in expecting the expected. He comes out having seen someone that he could never have expected to see and he came out hearing something that he never could have expected to hear. And now he can't tell anybody about it. He can't speak. The sign that was given to him is now a sign in him and he can't express it. That's the power of God. He wants to express the plan of God, the promises of God. And the only way he can do it is by making signs. Enter the story, friends. What did that look like? If you were there praying, and suddenly you hear whispers that he's coming out of the temple. What would it have looked like to see this man trying to speak 
but he can't. What did the drawings look like? What was the conversation like when he told his bride, you're going to get pregnant. You're going to have a baby. He's going to point to Jesus. He's going to turn people to the Messiah that we've been trusting in. God is no longer silent. This is going to happen in nine months. Enter into the story. Look at the signs. Look at the wonder. And as you do, what do you behold? The presence of God. The power of God. The plan of God. And the promises. Soon the angel is going to visit someone else. And actually what he says to her is even more unbelievable because she is also going to have a baby and she will have never had relationships, a relation with a man. It has to be a miracle. And as he speaks to Mary, there's belief. She's not perfect, but she believes. The story will continue, and we will see next week what God has done in the life of Zechariah, who for nine months had to make signs. And soon his son is going to be born, and he is going to speak. And what he speaks of is so beautiful and so full of awe and wonder that I pray you and I, by God's grace, will beg him to give us that wonder, that awe. Because in it, every time, every time is the presence of God and his power, his plan, and his promise. And the signs always point to one person, and that's Jesus. Lord, in your name we come. We ask that you would cause us to see what we haven't been able to see or what we have grown tired of seeing or bored with seeing. We pray that you would silence the distraction and that you would move us from simply expecting the expected to expecting the unexpected. That your glory is greater than we can even imagine. That your goodness is beyond what we can comprehend. Lord, as we close by singing an Advent hymn, we make it our prayer. Come, come again. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.